Good evening, Patriots, Freedom Fighters, throughout Saskatchewan, across the country, and around the world. How are we all doing tonight? So, um, Salim will be joining us here shortly, hopefully. Uh, as you probably saw by the title, we're going to talk a little bit nationalism versus globalism, um, and, and some good news on that front, but before we get into it, uh, wait for Salim to show up. Um, tomorrow, though, um, really looking forward to this. Me and RB are back on the road again. Um, looking forward to it. Um, we'll be at the E-Center in Swift Current at 7 p.m., uh, if you're in the area, by all means, come and join us. Come and say hello. Uh, glad to get back in the saddle. Um, and looking forward to being in in uh, in Swift Current. Uh, we also have another one um, scheduled for the 23rd of April in Esterhazy. Uh, also looking forward to that one. So if you're in the Esterhazy area, uh, anywhere from Yorkton to Moosemin or Estevan, come on up to Estrahazy and join us. That's on the 23rd of April. So looking forward to it. It's nice, really super nice to get back at it. Uh, yeah, so anyways, Salim is here. I'll bring him on in and uh, we'll get started with our chat. How are you, Salim? Good evening, Mark. Very good. Good to see you, my friend. Thank you. So uh, I entitled this show Globalism versus Nationalism. I don't think it's the first time I've done that, but I, I think it's uh, appropriate given some of the circumstances that we've seen with elections uh, in Europe, Eastern Europe, and, uh, and a few of those things that, that we should highlight tonight a little bit. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is. Uh, the world is basically breaking up, splintering <clears throat> along that great divide that you and I have been talking about now for past several months, um, <clears throat> which is uh, globalism on the one side and nationalism on the other. And the issues are becoming so much clearer, not yeah. only to among us, 
the people to with whom we are speaking and to whom we are speaking and from whom we are listening to mm. what their concerns are but it is becoming clear right across the world um and in some ways it is very exciting um to see that finally the clarity and the sharp divide yes is now yes very much visible and taking shape so it's very encouraging and that sounds very exciting but everything of this nature is also fraught with hazards with dangers with peril and that is we went through two years of pandemic it is not over uh and and that two years of pandemic was uh mental health tyranny uh and totalitarianism that was imposed upon us that is every crisis becomes an instrument or a pretext for the globalists for the communists for the for the um, the left wing <coughs> uh, the deep state to use that crisis to push the agenda of totalitarianism at the global level absolutely and, absolutely and so that's that's the danger we are faced with right now because of the war in ukraine mm. um again i have to underline this matter um for all of us um who want to think clearly critically and historically that this is the second major european war after the end of the cold war the first major european war which now we can see looking back at it after the cold war in the mid 1990s was the balkan wars in europe that is the break up of yugoslavia into uh, bosnia croatia and serbia right. and now the second european war that is going on uh which is uh in ukraine uh so to keep that in mind this is the european war but it has very much a global dimension in fact it is at the heart of the globalist dimension mm. just as in the first half of the last century that is the 20th century there was two world wars world war 1 and world war 2 which were european wars it had nothing to do say with the people in indonesia mm. or sri lanka or south africa or argentina it was a european war but it had a global dimension right. and so we are back again into that situation that we need to discuss mm. but this past week has been a week of elections in in uh, europe two yeah. very important elections happened one was in hungary and the other one was in serbia and this sunday is the first round of the french election the mm. presidential election uh which will be also a very significant and important election whichever way the eventual result is yeah i actually uh i congratulated orban uh on his reelection uh, in hungary Yeah, extremely good news and i think it was i think it was it was a uh, quite a landslide yeah it was um it was a phenomenal victory it was a crushing defeat of the six party alliance 
uh, that came together to stop Orban, supported by the globalists, in this case, the European Union, and George Soros and his oligarchs of the World Economic Forum. Mm. And uh, Orban's party, uh, Fidesz, was able to give a crushing defeat to the Sixth Party Alliance, winning, by the way, a fourth majority government. That is so astounding, you know. Mm. So he, he wins the fourth term. Um, but, but, but so there, Salim, in Hungary, you have a populace that is, is obviously very nervous about uh, communism, very nervous about totalitarianism, globalism, and, and, a, and, a, and a populace that's very educated and aware. So it doesn't surprise me that in Orban, um, the way he, the way he uh, governs his country, we get reelected. It doesn't surprise me in the least. No, you and I are not surprised, uh, Mark. But um, on the other hand, the surprise is the astounding defeat the people of Hungary delivered to the globalists. So that surprise means, at least for me, if I'm speaking for, yeah. I'm speaking here for myself, how is it that my fellow Canadians are like Rip Van Winkle in a 50-year sleep, right. that they cannot wake up, they cannot smell the coffee, they don't want to understand what has happened to their country, to their families, to their, to their children, and to their future. That is what is surprising, you know, a very big surprising. But it's never happened. And so we're sort of mass ignorance, uh, you know, in this regard, because we've never really had to deal with it. We've never really had to fight for freedom. We've never really had to fight for sovereignty. Although, you know, our complacency has allowed it to, to drift away. But, but I, I think we're, we're, we're different than a lot of Eastern Europeans that have sort of, you know, through their families, uh, recognize what's coming and are more astute in, in recognizing it. Whereas Canadians are somewhat oblivious and think it can never happen here. Well, guess what? Well, Mark, I mean, this is the conversation we need to have. We need to have very seriously. There is the other discussion. So if, if we just carry on this track for a little while, it is very important. Um, you're, you and I both are saying Canadian, you know. But look, you are a European Canadian. And if I understand from you, your background, it's a mix of East European and, and Northern European. Uh, Scandinavian background that you well, come from. Well, yeah, my my uh, my biology is Scottish, uh, small percentage, and very heavy on the Norwegian end of things. Uh, but I was brought up because I'm adopted. I was brought up Ukrainian and Dutch. Okay, so the, so that's a phenomenal collection of uh, uh, genes that you have in you, both in terms of your own personal DNA and and in terms of the culture uh, yeah. that is European stock. And I am, you know, as you can see, I have also a very mixed uh, uh, gene, uh, biological genes on my uh, mother's side of the family. Um, I have uh, a European Scottish gene. My grandmother was uh, a Scott woman, uh, mm. born in India, married to my grandfather. Mm. Uh, and so my so we might be related is what you're saying. Could be, could be a, <laughs> a Scott or, or, or 
in in my case caught indian you know uh, in that that is the context of my family background and also on my father's side there are some mixed uh, relationship remember the british and i say british not the english because british men you know irish scots english and welsh um were in india for over 200 years and there was a lot of you know back and forth exchange but i am an indian you know in that in, in the most fundamental sense you know mm. uh, and and so the point i'm driving at is we are an immigrant country canada and so there's a lot of canadians um who are of european background but particularly of east european background who came to canada before or after the end of world war 2 if they came before world war 2 they were escaping from the situation in europe uh, that led to the crisis after world war 1 the depression the rise of uh, fascism in europe and so they were escaping from all of that uh, if they came after world, uh, uh, world war 2 they were escaping if they were from east europe they were escaping from soviet communism from stalin and, and, and all of that so the question then is uh, and a very serious question um what happened to the children the grandchildren how is it that they will vote for the liberals and the conservative who are all about lgbtq who have given up on god country religion family you know which is what the whole election in in hungary is about you know yep. for for uh, resounding victory for fidesz and viktor orban against all odds mm. i mean the hungarians have stood strong given their memory yeah. given their experience historical experience from world war 1 all the way to now so they have come back and they said you know we want to be an independent nation state we will protect our sovereignty we will decide who we will allow into our country and who we will not we will decide how we operate our economy our business our school yes. our faith our family our neighborhoods that is what sovereignty is about is about the people you know Absolutely. and viktor orban has articulated that in a very powerful way so my question then remains hanging you know what happened to the hungarians in canada to the serbians in canada to the you know people who came from broken yugoslavia the czechs the poles you know what has happened to them and of course the third world country but i can give the third world country explanation very simply mm-hmm. the people of the third world particularly in canada and in the united states or uh, as people of my background that is indians and chinese and africans and caribbean they came to canada or they came to north america whichever of the two country they were able to come to mm-hmm. uh, which opened their door and received them they came because they were looking for economic uh, you know uh, advantages they were looking for um, right. you know rising up economically from the background that they were coming in third world economy peasant economy broken economy and so on and so for them to walk into canada to walk into the united states or france 
or England is to take advantage of that economic opportunity that opened up to them and their children. And in return, they have supported the politics of, in so many ways, nothing but socialism, you know, social mm -hmm. welfare, so on and so forth. And in terms of their culture and religion, they did not belong in that sense to that framework of Christian values. You know, even if there were people who were Christian, as India has a large Christian population, or Middle East has a large Christian population, but the social cultural values were not defined in that sense as is the European culture was defined as mm -hmm. Christian. And so they were in that sense outsider. And the question was whether they can assimilate into North American value system to which the Europeans were part of that North American value system. Uh, and because of multiculturalism over the last half century and more, we have basically destroyed our founding value system, and that's where we have arrived. So I think that's, that's, that argument remains, I would hope it remains valid that the people will start discussing this matter of what remains in the 21st century. And as this crisis expands, you know, and as this crisis sharpens in terms of, because the globalists are not going to withdraw. No. They're not going to go into a penalty shootout. They will try to shoot out right now. Mm. You know, mm. there's not going to be an overtime play that after 90 minutes of soccer or 120 minutes of soccer, you say, okay, zero, zero, we'll have a penalty shootout. Right. None of that. Mm. You know, they're already gone into overdrive and they're going to go into overdrive even more so as mm. they see their opportunities slipping away uh, from what they had planned for. So this is the situation we are in. Absolutely, hundred percent. And so, so we had Hungary, and then uh, Serbia. Yeah, some, both both had their election last Sunday, right uh, on uh, April term, and both came out um, with results. In the Hungarian election, it was a very clear victory uh, for Fidesz. They now dominate the parliament, and they have uh, Fidesz as the prime minister, fourth running time, and so. He's going to be there uh, till 2025, 2026. I think it's every five years. So mm -hmm. he has he, he's going to be there and he's going to make a big difference. Not, not only for Hungary, but also for other European countries that now has to deal with, uh, with Orban. It was very, um, in a sense, striking to hear Orban speak. I mean, I picked it up in the media, that is in the print media, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't understand Hungarian to see what he was saying, but in the print media, the translation came out very loud and clear when Urban said that this victory uh, that, that his party and he uh, have received from the Hungarian people is so loud, so big, that it can be seen from the moon and it can be seen from Brussels. <laughs> right, right. So it was a massive uh, message that was sent to Brussels. And, and Brussels uh, responded also predictably. They have already declared that they are going to uh, penalize Hungary uh, because they have not lived up to their uh, legal commitments to the European Commission. 
Now, the European Commission, especially the commissioner, um, this woman from Holland, uh, Juan de Leon, um, she is saying that you have not, you have not changed your constitution to meet the necess the 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 requirements of the European Union, and then they're going to hold back what is due to uh, the the uh, euro euro funds that is due to Hungary, uh, and they're already holding back on the money that is due to Hungary for receiving Ukrainian immigrants or refugees mm -hmm. because Hungary does not have signed on the European human rights requirement. And what are the human European human rights requirements? It is the globalist agenda, right. multiculturalism mm -hmm. and LGBTQ. Uh, so it is not about economics, it's not about the autonomy, of individual European states, their culture, their values, their language. It is what is going to be dictated by Brussels, which is now the new headquarters of Euro communism. Right. Um, this headquarters of Soviet communism used to be Moscow. There is no longer Moscow headquarters of Soviet communism. Soviet communism is gone 30 years ago. But the new communism is the communism, Euro-communism, and that's where it is in Brussels. And they're going to dictate. And Mr. Urban, both before the election and after the election, was very clear that um, Hungary is a sovereign state and whatever law Hungary is going to pass will not be passed by Brussels. It will be passed by the elected members of the Hungarian Assembly that is the representative yes. of the Hungarian people and the representative of the Hungarian people. And their uh, culture. Yeah, they don't, they don't agree with those positions that the European Union want to push upon them and they're not going to go along with it. So that's clearly, again, another sign of what a self-respecting, dignified, sovereign state is going to say. Yes. to uh, Brussels. That's exactly what the Brexit was about in 2016. Even though Boris Johnson is a thoroughly reprehensible person, but right. he's still the elected prime minister. Um, he's again a conservative like Stephen Harper and, and Aaron O'Toole and, and Andrew Scheer and all of that, you know, uh, in only a name only conservative. Right. Right. Uh, exactly. but, but the people of Britain, the the Brexit people, they voted to get out of the European Union and and the European Union have not heard that message on, mm. on that issue. Same thing with Serbia, but Serbia is not a member of European Union, you know. I mean, Serbia uh, was uh, basically brought was was humiliated and defeated by NATO and European Union over Kosovo. Yeah. Right. And Ser Serbia remains outside of the European Union. So in that sense, those were not the issue. But what were the issue in the election on Sunday was as a result of February 24th breakout of the Ukraine war, the issue was um, for Hungary directly and for Serbia indirectly to uh, implement the European sanction, the NATO and European sanction on um, Russia and Moscow. 
Mm. And both Hungary and Serbia have rejected that. Um, In fact, immediately after the Hungarian election, Orban uh, stated uh, in a message that uh, Hungary is going to buy uh, oil and gas from Russia and and will make the payment in rubles uh, as Putin has asked for. And Mm. Hungary is very much ready to make the payments in rubles whereas the European Union and NATO has demanded that Hungary follow those sanctions. Otherwise, uh, Hungary will be penalized even more. Mm -hmm. And I think Urban is now in a position to say, um, basically, politely, you know, you can go wherever you want. We're going to go in our own direction. In other words, Hungary, will break out of that uh, euro euro uh, arrangement if necessary and follow the new arrangement that are in the works and we will have to come back and discuss about that because i think there's a massive change that is going to happen either in our lifetime my lifetime but definitely in the lifetime of our children that is uh, the world is moving away or will move away from the U.S. dollar as the reserve currency, uh, international right. currency, and and there will be new arrangements that will be coming on, and so maybe the Anglosphere, maybe Canada, parts of European Union, Britain, Australia, New Zealand will remain within that uh, dollar uh, uh, arrangement, mm-hmm. um, but more than you know two-thirds to three-quarters of the world population is going to move out of the dollar and will move into either a new gold standard or it will become more of a equal exchange of currency that will be arranged between china russia india south africa brazil and so on and so forth so that's a whole different set of questions that we are we are faced with and we need to talk about that because in the Canadian budget, though the Canadian media is not talking about it, that right. issue has already, in a sense, been put on the table, but hidden away deep inside the budget so that people cannot see it up front. One has to go inside and look, look right. at it. And, and the media, of course, completely ignores it. The media will not, yeah, exactly, will not do mm-hmm. that. So um, I think that that is a big pushback uh, by Orban. Uh, on uh, Brussels, the European Union, uh, to impose uh, uh, one rule that fits everybody, if you're a member of the European Union, Mm. on its relationship with Russia. And Orban has said no. Uh, Similarly, in the case of Serbia, again, Serbia is a very small economy and a very small country. But from the point of view of sovereignty and, and respect of the independent state, individual right. state, um, Serbia's position has been very clear. Serbia is not going to go along with the European Union. Serbia mm-hmm. is allied with Russia. Um, Serbian church, Serbia is a Orthodox Christianity, Greek Orthodox. And same is in the Russian. Russians are Greek Orthodox with uh, the Patriarchate in Moscow that has been revived uh, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, the fall of the Soviet Union. Mm. I have seen um, uh, polling data 
recently that somewhere close to 70% of the Russian population uh, are in, in, in some sense uh, devoted to uh, their religion and they've returned mm. to their religion. And I suppose those numbers will increase and those sense of identity will increase as Russia becomes even more, more strong in terms of its own past tradition and history right. in terms right. of nationalism. So mm. that's the flag Russia is now uh, carrying and we'll see how this progresses. There is a third election, as I mentioned. Yeah, uh, I was just uh, going to bring it up. The, the French election. And the French election is going mm. to be, you know, again, uh, a, a zinger. Uh, the money, because because the way the media is structured in, in France, and the way uh, France is one of the founding members of the European Union, and so Brussels, right. uh, the, the two... Uh, or three major power in the European Union today, after Britain withdrew, after Brexit, is Germany, France, and Italy. So that's right. the triumvirate. So in that sense, um, Emmanuel Macron um, is uh, the favorite, the favorite going into the uh, final round. But in the first round, um, Macron will be there. He'll come out on the top uh, because the two-round election. If neither, if no candidate in the slate of presidential candidate win fifty plus one percent of the vote, mm. uh, then it goes into the second round. Mm. Uh, the two top candidates then will fight it out, duke it out two weeks later on the twenty-fourth of April. So uh, Macron will be one of the two. And, and the question was, who's going to be the number two? Uh, when, the, when the election season began uh, after Christmas, uh, a lot of eyes, including my own, as I was following the French discussion, was on Eric Zemmour, uh, the guy who's uh, a populist journalist who stepped forward uh, almost like Trumpian manner uh, and his main agenda was basically immigration multiculturalism uh, and and closing the door on on further uh, downgrading of the French culture French history so it was a very sharp cultural uh, mm -hmm. program that he was putting forward and attacking Macron but um, he slipped and uh, this Maria Le Pen, she has come up. And right now, as I checked out the popular poll uh, over the last 20, 24 hours or so, uh, Macron and Le Pen are running head to head in popular poll. Uh, in fact, okay. Maria Le Pen is within the margin of error. Uh, according to the popular poll, Macron has about 51% support and Le Pen is around about 49%. So that's within the margin of error. And going into the second round, um, it could be. It could be a phenomenal uh, race where Le Pen 
uh, narrows the gap uh, and and comes out ahead. And I think a lot of people uh, will be cheering for Le Pen. I certainly sitting here and cheering yeah, for Le me Pen. Me too. Hope hope that Le Pen comes through. So what are the issues and what is happening in in the in in the French election? Well, the issues are again, you know, I mean, it happened here in Canada. We had that couple of years ago with the Yellow West, which began in France, you know, right. uh, yeah. against uh, Brussels, against uh, climate change and against all of that issue that came together. Migration. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it, it is straightforward French nationalism uh, yeah. on, on, on the right is it French nationalism that France has been degraded uh, and, and, and shredded by this open door policy of multiculturalism going well, back. You but this, know. Is, this is what happens. This is why their agenda is what it is, to destroy the nation state and especially uh, the states in the West. They want to destroy Western civilization and and go to this globalist model, global governance and, and dominance and control. And so, yeah, of course, it's completely destroying, uh, you know, these these countries like France. Exactly, exactly, and 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 that that, but of course, it is not the first time. It is a recurring issue over the last mm. 25, 30 years, going all the way back to nineteen ninety. Um, if you want to take the Cold War as the dividing line of the new Europe um, and 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 the old Europe, in the sense before the Cold War. Mm. So during the Cold War, uh, there was that French nationalism still in place to some extent, whether you were on the right or whether you were on the left. In the French division, right and left is, of course, um, the historic figure of uh, Charles de Gaulle, you know, the mm. Gaullists. And Charles de Gaulle, um, the French uh, military officer, later general, was the icon of French nationalism, French right. sovereignty, right. Yeah. French identity coming out of the Second World War and into the making of the Fifth Republic and that France will stand as one of the great Western civilization, member of the Western civilization, you know. France is known in the historic sense as the older daughter of the church, that is the Catholic church, you know? Um, and so that's the right. And then there is the other side of it, that is the French Revolution, that is the, that is the left, um, or socialism. Um, and uh, in the 1990s, um, there was an alternation between the right and the left. Um, the Gaullists were in control in, in, uh, of the presidency, at least, if not the parliament, where the socialists had big numbers. Yep. Um, but the last socialist president was Mitterrand, Francois Mitterrand. He was there when um, the Cold War ended. But since then, uh, France has drifted more and more to that European, as, a, as both a member and a leader of the European uh, idea of uh, a united European state. Uh, France has drifted more and more to the concept of multiculturalism, open borders, uh, integration with Germany and other European states. Right. And 
the right has been trying to push back against that, but the culture um, of the dominant elite in the in the West, and that is Europe, has been on the left. They moved mm -hmm. to the left, you know, and uh, under uh, during the Cold War years, uh, they pushed their socialist agenda both as independent states and through the European Union, once the European Union was formed in 1994, under the cover of American military security, that is NATO. But once the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, it was a different uh, situation, mm. both in the European context and in terms of the world context. And so Le Pen from the right is pushing for re rethinking France's place in the post-Cold War Europe. She is the one standing for French nationalism, French sovereignty, French independence. Uh, she promises, though she has not played this message very hard because that was the message of Eric Zamour about immigration. She mm -hmm. has played the other message very hard, and that is the message of independence, sovereignty, uh, and France's own national interest. And right. so recently, yeah, and so recently, um, in in public discussions in the media uh, and, and talking to uh, uh, people who are covering her candidacy, she was asked, what is her position uh, now that she is um, leading uh, on the right, the leading candidate, um, what is her position if she forms the government, if she wins the election mm. on Europe, on NATO, on French uh, foreign policy? Foreign policy is a big thing in, 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 in the French election, unlike in Canada, because France considers it's, it's, it's also one of the Security Council members, right? So it's the permanent right. member of the Security Council has the veto. Uh, so these are issues that are very much uh, of concern or of discussion mm -hmm. in the French election. So Le Pen's position, as she explained, was that where Europe is concerned, where she's concerned, the European Union is a catastrophe. She used the word catastrophe. She mm -hmm. said European Union is a catastrophe. And what she and her government would do is to help Europe find its new balance, its new arrangement as a Europe of nations. That's a beautiful word she used, Europe as nations. That's what yeah. Europe has been, you know? Yeah. And so right. that's as nations, as adults, as independent, sovereign nations, you come together and you negotiate and you make your right. treaties sure. and you agree and so on and so forth. Yes. You respect each other's uh, traditions and values and history mm. and so on. So I, I, I really loved her phrasing of it, Europe of nations as opposed mm. to the European Union, which is a Europe uh, of Euro-communists, you know, and that is very yeah. clear. That is it's a clear, clear division. Uh, well, I, and I think it, yeah. I, I was just going to say, I think it's extremely important that we're seeing these things happening. Uh, you know, Hungary, lesser degree, Serbia, France. It's encouraging because as things move along and this divide that we spoke of at the beginning, that's this 
you know, nationalism versus globalism. It, it needs to be in the discussion in Canada. It needs to be at the forefront of everyone's discussion because this is, this is, we're either heading one way or the other. And, and people really need to wrap their head around this whole issue and, and decide, um, you know, do you want the Canada that, that uh, we've always had, or do you want to give it away? 100%. And, and how will that come about is unless people, people like us, uh, as common citizens, you know, uh, continue to talk amongst ourselves and demand whoever wants our vote to respond to the question that we are asking openly and clearly, you know, right. uh, be because these questions are not going to be raised by the media, the globalist media, which basically controls our Canadian media. And these questions are not going to be raised by the current crop of members of parliament or, or, or political parties or their leaders. So it is left to the people. Uh, and that's the lesson of Hungary, mm. that Orban is today standing tall for the Hungarians because Hungarians made him stand tall. He could not have stood right. tall on his own. Yeah. Right, right. You know, so that's, and I think if that happens in, in France, it will be French people coming back in a mm. huge way. Mm. And I hope that something like that happens. Um, I think NATO. it's inevitable. I think it's inevitable, Salim. I really do. Um, you know, even in France or, or, you know, other countries too, I, I think it's inevitable that once, you know, a culture and a way of life is, is threatened. And, and I mean, people who have paid attention like yourself and myself know that it's been threatened for many decades, but we've been sounding the alarm uh, to, you know, in large part, a, a deaf crowd. But as more people understand that it's, it's being threatened by this uh, globalist agenda, more and more people are going to are going to come and stand and defend, um, you know, the Canadian way of life. I, I I just can't see it going in any other direction, just like I can't see it in other countries. Uh, you know, I've been to Norway and they're they're incredibly uh, attached to their way of life, their language, their culture. They would never give that up for anything. And and Sweden is very similar and. And a lot of these European countries and a lot of countries throughout the West are like that. And so I just see it as inevitable. At some point, there's going to be a wave of, of nationalism, which doesn't mean you can't work with other countries, right? And of course you can and you have to, but while maintaining everything that 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 you cherish at home. It, it just, to me, it seems inevitable. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I hope you're right. I pray that you're right. Mm. The, the only reason that if you are if you are close to 100, somewhere between 90 and 100 in your optimism, I am mm. down at 70. <laughs> <laughs> and, yes. and, 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 and we need to talk about it. I'm not down at 70 because I don't want to be at 100. I see immense difficulties and I find those difficulties have been created by the leadership over here, by the elite over here. You have to start coming on some of these town halls with me. You would feel a lot better. Yeah, yeah, but but I absolutely, and I and and you're going to talk about this, and hopefully we'll be able to do this this summer. Yeah, sure. But 
we in those town hall we'll have to confront the people i would have to confront the people because that's the conversation if we mm. if you're sitting with a pack of card and all of us are holding the same card then there is no game <laughs> 100% so so the issue is that why why to the extent that canada and america and so for that matter now that that's the discussion we are having on france has turned out to be different than say Viktor Orban and Hungary why because to understand the why is to find the remedy for our own situation right 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 we have to find the remedy for our own situation and our remedy for our situation is immensely complicated why very quick answer hungary was not there was a austro-hungarian empire before world war 1 but it was a european empire the mm. hungarian empire austro-hungarian empire ruled over the balkans so it was european right. the french empire was extra-european the french empire went into africa into right. southeast asia yes. into indonesia you know mm. so the mm. french empire was vast Right. And also British, into yeah. the into the Caribbean, you know, mm. uh, the British Empire, you know, the British Commonwealth. Now the British Empire was huge. It was the biggest empire. Uh, the sun right. never sank on the British Empire, and unfortunately, America became an empire, which went against what the founding fathers said. You know, we discussed that last time we were right. together. You know, it went against the words of George Washington and and. Uh, others and and now we can see america is an empire of lies empire of deceit it is today america is far more dangerous an empire than any other empire i'm not comparing america to stalinism but right. any other empire because of its immense power and this power america is using on behalf of the globalists that's the deep state I mean if you talk about globalism today we are talking about America mm. you know because without America the globalism cannot push their agenda Europe does not have the muscle to push the agenda which is Look why they stole the election from Trump pardon which is why they stole the election from Trump just right yeah, exactly 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 mm. so coming back to Macron she was asked about NATO and she mm. said if 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 she becomes the president she will withdraw france from nato fantastic and the, uh, the question Huge. why and she answered because nato was uh, a a organization that was put together uh, a military organization that was put together during the soviet communism to protect uh, europe from soviet communism Soviet communism is long gone and the usefulness of NATO is long gone. Right. This was almost a devil type that, answer. Yeah, it depends on on whose perspective. Obviously the globalists are using NATO uh, as a means to fulfill their agenda, right? So it's not the the NATO purpose is not as it once was. It's completely different in the hands of the globalists That, now. exactly and so but what nato is nothing without america so what it is is and nato is an american instrument now mm. to push an american policy through europe right right 
and 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 in in uh, Serbia, that policy was fully exposed. That is, when uh, at the United Nations, the issue of Kosovo was an internal issue of Serbia. Mm. Kosovo was in a state of unrest or civil war that would eventually break out uh, with the federal government of Serbia, that is, uh, you know, the capital Belgrade. Uh, something you might say similar to what happened in 1970 in Canada when the FLQ, Federation Liberation de Quebec, rose up, started bombing, kidnapping people. This was an internal problem of, of Canada. And at that time, the Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau imposed War Measures Act. Well, the issue never went to the United Nations because this is an internal problem. Canada is a sovereign country and it has to be solved internally. But in the case of Serbia, the matter of Kosovo was taken to um, the UN and uh, it was uh, vetoed by Russia. Mm. Uh, and what, did, what happened then? They took the matter from out of the UN and made it into an European issue with NATO. And NATO was then given the authority to bomb Serbia. And that's what NATO did. NATO bombed Serbia. Now, NATO is an organization. NATO is not a country. Right. So United Nations had no control over NATO. And NATO was used to bomb Serbia and to break Serbia. Just as NATO was used to bomb Libya and break Libya. So right. this is this is where exactly where Le Pen is. You know, Le Pen is being very honest and very straightforward that, you know, um, France will pull out of NATO, which is exactly what de Gaulle did. De Gaulle pulled France out of NATO. And after de Gaulle died, the subsequent presidents of France, I think it was Pompidou, who mm. brought uh, France back into NATO. So um, very interesting answer that she gave. And in, in explaining her position on NATO and Europe, she said very clearly, she said, my position is the same as Mr. Trump, President Trump and Mr. Putin. So this is this was an amazing public open statement mm. by the leading candidate, the leading opposition candidate in the French presidential election, mentioning by name both President Trump and President Putin. You know, mm. uh, that must have gotten the people in Brussels uh, all in a knot. You know, very agitated. <laughs> so, Salim, do you know uh, the Le Pen? party do you know how many seats they have in parliament there in, in france like are they do they have an effective are they the opposition or do they have an effective no, no, no they, don't, they have a few seats but they don't have enough seat because um it is uh, the party that is uh, macron's party mark and the socialist party they are in control of the parliament okay, okay. so um no they don't have that many seats but they have representation, and they have representation also in the European Parliament and Strasbourg. 
so um, I think Mary Le Pen herself, I could be wrong. Uh, it has to be checked out, but I, I, I have a feeling if my memory serves me that she had sat in the European Parliament for a couple of years mm. before she came back. But this is her third attempt to win the presidency. The presidency maybe, it, yeah. maybe it might be the final attempt. So we'll see what happens. Um, but here is the difficult part of it uh, in, the, in the French election, election. What has happened in the last 30 years, open door immigration has radically uh, changed, changed France as it has changed Canada. You know, right. um, yep. the Muslim population in France from a North African and African Middle Eastern country is now roughly 10% of the population. And then there are areas where there is even larger. Uh, then there is uh, the, the uh, immigration from Black Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, from, uh, and, and that too is a very significant number. Um, so these numbers uh, mean that they can be the vote which we might call the swing vote that can shape the nature of election, you know. So if uh, uh, it seems that Mary Le Pen is very close to winning, these numbers can come together and put the other side on, on top. Right. So that's, that's the huge issue. And also uh, what has happened is the radical secularization of France has brought about over the last half a century or so, just as in Quebec, uh, has brought about a big shift from the traditional values of France as a Christian Catholic country, you know, right, with right. Uh, the whole question of LGBTQ, the whole question of abortion, uh, same-sex marriage, and all of that has changed the nature of what used to be de Gaulle's country when de Gaulle was the president or after the right. Second World War. So those are the issues that we we have to deal. Hungary doesn't have that problem. You know, mm. because France was an empire, the empire being extra-European, the right. people of the empire have come back to France and they make a num big number. That's mm. not the case in Hungary. You know, that's right. not the case in right. Romania. That's not the case in Serbia. That mm. is the case in Italy, by the way. The Italians mm. are have to deal with that problem of how to create a national consensus uh, and what the European Union has done, just as what Canadian federalism is doing, is using immigration and social welfare to corrupt the body politics of the country, and which yeah. is exactly what the Americans are. Hundred percent. Yep. Absolutely. And so the ch the challenges are, are, in that sense, very different. So as I said right at the outset, you know. The, the, the Canadians, I mean, we say Canadian, we're not talking hyphenated Canadian, but multiculturalism is about hyphenation, right? Mm -hmm. So Japanese Canadian, Indian right. Canadian, yeah. and so on and so forth, German Canadian. So this hyphenated identity means that by design, mm -hmm. the federal government and the elite want to keep Canada a divided country along ethnic lines. 
you know, mm. so that a national consensus cannot come together. Right, hundred percent, absolutely. And and you know, one would argue, in fact, that that would be and should be considered racist. But somehow we always end up being the racist. <laughs> you know, precisely. But that's that's again something that people have to stand up to just as you know the, yes. the I think what is happening now in American politics is uh, because the American Constitution gives weight to the Bill of Rights that individual you know uh, uh, rights and, 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 and liberty which yeah. the Canadian Constitution I would now openly say the Canadian Constitution is a big hoax with yeah. all due respect to uh, Brian Peckford mm -hmm. uh, a man whom I respect yeah. um, he's the last remaining member of their group of premiers that negotiated the charter of rights and freedom mm. they never understood the problem they never understood the world in which they were engaged in this, this discussion right. they took mr pierre trudeau uh, uh in, in in an honorable way that he's the prime minister and we will negotiate all of these things but right. Uh, uh, Mr. Pierre Trudeau was a Marxist. Uh, Absolutely, and he set it up, uh, yeah. set it up as is. Yeah, uh, well, while he appeared as a liberal and all of that, in his, he was a hardcore Marxist, and he played the premiers, you know, mm. uh, in a manner that the premiers could never rise up to. He was he he proved to be far more astute and shrewd. And if he was not alone, it was the Laurentian elite. Um, and the sellout had begun before mm. Pierre Trudeau. Uh, mm. That is, the Laurentian elite had taken control uh, right. of the liberal agenda. And then the conservative was bought into that liberal agenda. Uh, and so there is no voice to challenge that mm. issue. And our premiers have totally, totally failed. There has been not a single well, premier that has stood up for their provinces or for Canada. Right. And and you can be very proud because I think we're probably the only uh, channel or podcast in Canada that actually talks about these things. So congratulations. Uh, I, I've yet to hear anyone else uh, discuss these things um, the way that we do. And so, um, you know, let's carry on. Well, well it, it, it was a Marxist term that Mr. Pierre Trudeau uh, very slyly put into play, that is the Liberal Party under him put into play, that you are not politically correct. And people will say, why are we not politically correct? You know, and you start thinking about it. So right. that whole language of political correctness was to shape the dialogue, was to shape the conversation, you know. And so yeah. anybody, when saying things, and somebody said you are not politically correct. Went into the defensive in terms of saying what is not politically correct about this. Who are you to decide what is politically correct? Exactly. And 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 so our entire education system, our conversation, beginning way back in the 1970s, late 60s and early 70s, which is now more than half century, was have shaped the thinking of people in mm. a certain way that they do not then question that thinking because to question it would become politically incorrect. Right. So when when Mr. Lester Pearson 
I mean, this is why I emphasize history is so important. But we Canadians and, and Americans, Americans even in a bigger way, because it's a much bigger country and a far more powerful country, uh, have very little historical knowledge. I mean, there is so often I run into American, you know, who are university graduates who are in position of responsibility and authority who cannot make a difference, you know, between Iraq and Iran, even though the Americans have waged war in the Middle right. East over the last 30 years, which right. is Iraq and which is Iran. They cannot make any difference. They don't know what it is, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it's supposed to be a global power, the global superpower. So. Mm -hmm lack of historical knowledge. So when Mr. Pearson, Lester Pearson in 1960 said uh, that led up to the Bicultural Commission, Bilingual and Bicultural Commission, said that the founding culture of Canada is English and French. And so that became the politically correct framing of the mm. conversation and right. the history, English and French, it was a complete lie. Canada's founding culture is not English and French. English and French fought for Canada in the 18th century, in the 17th century. Right. The English were fighting the French, the French were fighting the English, and finally the English defeated the French in 1759. Mm -hmm. Then, after defeating the French, then the English made certain moves to try to build a relationship in which they would not have to continue that fight, that they had conquered it, right. you know. To be honest, then, would have required Mr. Pearson to say, Canada is an immigrant country of which the dominant immigrant culture is English because that's our language. That is the language of the 13 colonies. Mm. The Spanish, the French, they were defeated in North America. Mm. And so by Mr. Pearson telling an open lie that nobody challenged, he was the prime minister, yeah. then he hands power to Pierre Trudeau, who becomes the prime minister, and he uses that lie to do what? To demand a 50-50 arrangement between English and French in terms of language, that there will be one language, uh, bilingual country, 50-50, which in effect become, you know, 80-20, because barely 20% of English can speak French, right. and, you know, 80% of the French speaks English. So right. we, are a, we are a federation and your 20% of the country runs 80% of the country. Mm. And I'm a proud man who happens to say that because I came and I studied this issue <laughs> in the last years of my life. And mm. of course, you know, nobody's going to discuss this. So I can discuss it with you, Mark, on your, on your platform. Yes, but please. anywhere else, you know, whether it is National Post, Globe and Mail, CBC, you know, mm. they might not call me a bigot, but they will just you know, politically incorrect, dismiss the discussion. Yep, 100%. Yes, my friend, um, it's it's an hour now, and I'd, I'd like to actually save this yep. episode as it is and, uh, and call it a night, but another great discussion. And uh, once again, I appreciate you taking the time on your Friday night to 
to join me and join us and do your thing. Fantastic. Well, it's a pleasure, um, Mark. I mean, so I much wait. is happening and we are at a critical wait. time. I can't wait until we can do this together in person. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I will be more, more, more than happy to come and join you for a trip in the West. Absolutely. Okay. Sounds good. All right, my friend. Thank you very much. Good night. Have a good night. Yep. All right. Another round with Salim. Smart man. Uh, I just, we're so lucky to have him. Um, he's, he's a national treasure, that man. So, um, yeah, my pleasure. If you're on YouTube, remember to subscribe because I'm rebuilding. I think this is the third or fourth time on YouTube. Um, it'd be nice to get back to 11,000 subs, but, uh, you know, whatever. But if you're watching and you haven't subbed, then by all means, please subscribe and like and all that other good stuff. Uh, Facebook, I'm still on Canada First and uh, Mark Fries in Saskatoon Grasswood. Um, I got another month on probation uh, before Facebook allowed me to go live on my other platform. But uh, yeah, it's all good. We'll get there. And I am live on Odyssey right now. I'm also live on uh, DLive, of course, and Twitch as well. So anyways, that's going to be a wrap for tonight. We're heading to Swift Current tomorrow afternoon. We'll be there at 5.30 to have some dinner with some folks. And then uh, the event is at um, 7 o'clock. Just pull it up here again. Uh, 7 o'clock uh, at the E-Center, 8856th Avenue Northeast in Swift Current. Um, we'll see you there if you're going to be there. Yeah, one of these nights, Paulette, we'll, uh, we'll, I'll just bring Salim on to do a, a Q&A. And we'll just do that. But anyways, see you in Swift Current tomorrow night, folks. And uh, I'll be live, I think, on Sunday night with Sean Taylor. We're going to talk about the prospects of revolution, Canadian revolution, and how some people think uh, it's going to go kinetic and we think that's a bad idea and we'll tell you why. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyways, it should be an interesting discussion, so we'll see you Sunday night if we don't see you in Swift Current tomorrow. And remember, globalism, bad. Nationalism, good. All right. Ciao for now. Hey, shush. Not yet. All right.
it's fun, but get ready to pay your dues. Oh, God, come back home. This crazy world is filled with liars and abusers. We need you now before we're too far gone. I hope one day they finally see the truth. God, we need you now.